Welcome to The Nathan Berry Show, Episode 5. For today's episode, we have Part 2 of the Self-Publishing Hangout. We take a bunch of listener questions, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. Let's jump right in. Uh, there's one question that Christian asked, and I get asked this all the time, and so I want to cover it really quickly, is what do you do about preventing piracy? And the answer is you do nothing. You move on. You focus on the people who are going to pay you. And yeah. That's, <laughs> That's what I, I have really as well. I don't, I don't care about privacy or piracy. So privacy, I definitely care about. Piracy, <laughs> <laughs> piracy not so much. If somebody wants to read, read something or get something that is anything like digital, there's, there's going to be a way to do it. It's easier to focus on people who are going to give you money than people who aren't going to pay you anyways. Well, I used to think uh, the same way. I do have like one small remark is that sometimes pirated versions can appear in Google results. So if somebody Googles, uh, you know, discover Meteor and the first result is a pirated version or even the number four or five, uh, I do think if you can do something about it, it's uh, better. Um, if for somebody, example, yeah, if somebody's stealing it to read it, that's one thing. If somebody's stealing it and putting it live somewhere, yeah. then that's 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 totally different. Like, yeah, you don't. That's that's not a good thing. But if somebody's going to find it to read it, then yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't do anything about that. But for example, we had a guy who uh, bought the book and then put it up on SlideShare, and it turns out he did it like uh, he thought it was private. He just wanted to have it. Uh, available to read whenever he wanted to, mm-hmm. but it was public. So since SlideShare is a big site, it was pretty uh, high up in the results. So I just emailed the guy and explained the situation, and then he removed it. Yeah. So uh, yeah, just make sure that you know, just Google your book's name uh, every couple weeks or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're getting a lot of questions about using a. Would you ever use a traditional publisher now that you've self-published? And also a lot of questions about uh, different platforms. I'm sure you guys have seen these. There's tons and tons of platforms for you know, writing and then uh, promoting a book. Uh, would you guys use any of those? Um, and yeah, why don't we just take that one? I think I, the only reason why I would use a publisher if, uh, if I was uh, doing a print book and I really wanted like if I didn't care so much about money, but I just wanted to get the book out there to as many people as I could, uh, have it in bookstores, uh, then I would consider a publisher. But other than that, I don't really see a, a reason because uh, I honestly think, you, especially for eBooks, you can do a better job yourself than uh, with a publisher. And it's a bit of a, like, I know a lot of people who've gone the traditional publishing route and a lot of publishers, it's not always the case, but if you're not their, their top like dog at the publishing house, then they're, you're going to be doing all the promotion anyway. So you might as well get a hundred percent instead of 10% or 12% if you're lucky. And I mean, I'm the Sasha, you mentioned you would do it if you wanted a print book. Um, my next book will be a print book, but I'm using Kickstarter to raise the money and to pre-sell a set number of copies for the next book. So it will be a hardcover and I get to control the design. That's another thing I've I've worked with because I work with a lot of authors, they don't really get to choose what the designs of their books look like. And I mean, for, for us designers, like the cover is kind of important. And if you don't get to choose that, that's kind of a big deal. And I've seen that that happen before. So, I mean, I've talked to publishers before and I've not, I've ended up not working with them just because I, 
I feel like I have a better grasp, and I mean, everybody on this panel has a better grasp of how to market and promote ourselves. And I mean, it's a bit of an ego thing to say, like, oh, my book's in a bookstore. So I, I don't know that many people that go to bookstores as opposed to just like buying the book, even if it's print or digital on Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble or from one of our sites directly or from somebody's site directly kind of thing. So I don't know. I don't, I've been approached and I'm still not, I'm still not that interested in going, in going that route at the moment. Well, maybe like if you really want to focus only on writing and do nothing else, uh, then maybe a publisher is a good thing. But like all of us, we all like uh, doing promotion and design and, you know, interacting with people. So maybe that's why we don't like publishers. The, the days of six and seven figure advances for, for authors are so gone anyways. Like that's not... The, 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 that's not really a reality. It's more an exception to the rule from what I've seen with the people that I know. Yeah. Well, I, I, Justin, go ahead. If you have something. Oh, sorry. I was just going to move on because uh, people were asking about Amazon and iBooks, and I know that you guys have some experience with that too. So, but you could, why don't you finish and we'll move on to that. Okay. So uh, I do plan to go with a traditional publisher at some point. Not for the style of books that I've been writing, um, but I have a few ideas of like a marketing book that I would like to get out to a much bigger audience that I don't think I would be able to reach on my own. Um, and so on that model, I'd probably be following more Chris Gillibo. He's done very well with his, um, his self-published books or guides that follow a lot of the models of what we're doing, or I guess I follow a lot of what he does. And then, but he also has two books traditionally published. His most recent one hit the New York Times list. Um, so I think he, he balances that really well. Just whatever decision you make, know what the publisher is going to do for you, what you're going to have to do, and don't go into it with the expectation that the publisher is going to promote it for you. Well, also, like, you're probably in a much better position to deal with a publisher now than, you know, two years ago when you didn't have all the, these ebooks. So, absolutely. Yeah, publishers are interested in you when you don't need them as much. <laughs> That's the way that the end goes. <laughs> But I would never take a technical book to a publisher because they may pay you $5,000 as an advance, and that would probably be all the money you would make off of it. So any of the three books I've written already would be a terrible fit for a publisher. Mm. And, and what about the iBook store and Amazon? Do you guys have any experience with them, and would you recommend it? I have my books in on Amazon and on iTunes, but they account for maybe 1% of my revenue and sales. I don't promote it just because if I'm doing the promotion, I'd rather promote somewhere where I'm going to get 95%. I'm going to get the cost of the book minus PayPal and Gumroad's fee versus selling it on Amazon or iTunes where I get 50 or 60% or whatever their percent is. So I have my books on there in case people are looking there and want to find them, they can, but... They account. I think people there's there's an idea that oh if, my, if I self publish my book on Amazon then Amazon's going to drive sales or traffic to it. Never ever ever happens. Like unless you're promoting your Amazon book from to your audience, nobody's going to find your book on Amazon or iTunes unless they're really really looking hard or looking for it anyways. Another uh, downside of Amazon is that you don't get people's emails, right? Yeah, so, you don't know who your customers are. 
And like for uh, our Meteor book, one thing we do is give people access to an online area where they can download the book, uh, read it online and all that. And that would be impossible to do with Amazon because we, we don't have a way to know who bought the book. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah, so for me, the two big downsides are not getting um, not getting an email address. And if you don't have any information about the customer, they're not your customer. They're Amazon's customer. And I'm used to that from selling iPhone applications. It really sucks to have people buy your iPhone app and all you know is like, 12 people in the United States bought it. And that's all you know about your customers. That's a that's a bad business model um, for you. It's wonderful for Apple and Amazon. Um, but then the other thing is, is pricing. There's no way I could do my pricing tiers or, or anything that I do around pricing using those platforms. So, yeah, they both max out in the teens for pricing for the max price you can set. Yeah, well, Amazon will let you go above ten dollars, but uh, they'll start taking seventy percent of your revenue. Yeah, so. <laughs> if you're into that, yeah. But I think Paul, what you said is really important about how you've tried it out, and they're not driving you a lot of sales, and that's what most people are looking for. They're expecting that if they put it on Amazon, they'll get a bunch of sales, and the truth is that everyone I know who's done that has driven almost all the sales that they've gotten. Yeah. Well, why don't we why don't we switch to uh, talking about promotion now? Is that okay with you guys? Yeah. Yeah. So why don't we? I mean, we we said that the point is how do you promote your book? Um, maybe let's start with uh, mailing list because we've talked about that quite a bit, and I think that can seem like a really um, overwhelming thing to people that are starting at zero. So how did you guys build your mailing list? And maybe talk a bit about the progression, like. Was it always slow and steady? Did you see a big jump with certain things? Uh, so let's talk about building a list. Let's start with Sasha. Uh, sure. So I've been building my list for about 10 months, I think now. And uh, there's about 4,000 subscribers. And uh, the concept of my list is that I write uh, one email per week every Sunday. Uh, at least that it was that until maybe one month ago where I, I just got burned out and decided to take a break. But um, yeah, I, I want to go back into that uh, that groove because it's uh, like we were talking about writing a thousand words a day. It's kind of the same concept, like writing one email a week. It's uh, it's something that even, you know, sometimes you're not sure what to talk about, but just the act of starting to write and brainstorming ideas helps you a lot and gets you makes it easier to for you to come up with ideas. So uh, my mailing list has been very helpful uh, with this. And actually, the way I started it was with the emails from uh, my first book sales. So I just emailed everybody who bought the book and asked them. I, I didn't uh, I didn't subscribe them automatically. I just sent them an email uh, letting them know that I was starting a list and that they could join if they wanted to. And so, how many uh, subscribers did you get from the initial sale of your book? I think I got about uh, 1,000. Oh, wow. So pretty big jump. So that might be one yeah. advantage to having a, a cheaper book uh, to begin yeah. with is that you got a lot of lit, uh, subscribers that way. Yeah, exactly. So um, usually, yeah, the, the normal way would be to have the list uh, and use the list to promote the book. But in my case, I did it the other way around. So I used the book as a way to kickstart the list. And uh, mm -hmm. 
what's funny is that you know my second book was about meteor so it was very specific so i ended up creating a separate email list for that so my first list which has the most people uh has uh, never been used to sell or promote anything it's just uh <laughs> And then ended up just being like a second blog or a kind of more personal blog, actually. Yeah. How about you, Nathan? How did you build your list? So I blogged for about a year trying to get RSS subscribers and, uh, you know, anyone to pay attention. And uh, the end result of that was I had about 80 RSS subscribers after a year of blogging. Um, not what I would consider a success. Uh, then I started working on the app design handbook and I put up a landing page specifically for that and started asking people to sign up, you know, through Twitter and talking to friends and all of that got about 50 people. Then I just started writing blog posts related to the book, you know, in-depth tutorials. And then, um, that by the time I launched the book, so like two months later, uh, I had 800 email subscribers. Um, just do that, that content promotion. And, uh, that was the biggest, by far the biggest factor in the book being successful. Um, and was it always, was it always slow and steady growth or did you, were there times where you saw a spike of subscribers? Uh, if an article got featured in hacker, like on hacker news or something, which I think happened once or twice where it hit the homepage for a little while, then I'd see a jump of like 50 subscribers, maybe in a day. Um, I want to but, point out something, sorry, is that yeah, uh, I've had like at least three or four uh, posts hit the top of Hacker News and I've had my blog for uh, close to two years and I, I have maybe like 2000 RSS subscribers over this whole period. And in less than one year, I have uh, over 4000 email subscribers. So um, yeah, I mean, it. It's actually, for some reason, much easier to build an email list than a, a blog following. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would definitely build, um, focus entirely on an email list and ignore everything else. Um, I get flack for saying that now that I run an email marketing company. Uh, <laughs> but I promise that I built an email marketing company because I learned how successful email was. And, and it, it just... Uh, Based on my numbers, I ran some calculations. Email converts at about 15 times what a Twitter follower does. Um, so anyway, I guess to finish building the building my list story, um, after the first book, I just contacted those people and let them know, you know, stayed in touch, said, hey, I'm working on another book, um, and rolled that into everything I was doing with designing web apps um, and tried to build a bunch more followers the exact same method. Um, and then just keep, kept going. Uh, once I came out with ConvertKit, I got a lot more aggressive with giving out free PDFs um, and other things in trade for people signing up for my list. Things like I came out with one called the Productivity Manifesto, uh, and that added about a thousand subscribers because um, it got shared around quite a bit. Uh, so now my whole list is at 10,000 email addresses, um, and that just that just makes launching every product from here on out so much easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I started both of my, uh, both of my books. I focus entirely on a mailing list first. Like my first book, I don't even have a blog and I have a one page website for eat awesome just because all I care about is the mailing list. And the mailing list is really what drove the sales. I did what Nathan did. 
I put up a launch pad. I was getting a lot of interest on Instagram with my food photos. So I put up a launch page. I, I put a photo of it on Instagram. And I got uh, probably three or 400 subscribers in a few days from that. And then the list slowly built. So when I launched, I think I had about 1,500 people on that list. But then I wrote a book about online business. So I didn't want to use the same mailing list. So I have two mailing lists now, with one for the vegan cookbook, one for my main mailing list, the PJRBF mailing list. And I found that the mailing list is like, I couldn't care less if Twitter goes away or, or even my blog goes away. My mailing list is really where I feel like it's easier to connect with people because you're connecting with people where they are. You're connected, everybody's always checking their email all the time. So I found that the mailing list, like if I write something new, I share it with my mailing list before I put it on my blog, just as kind of, just to show them the, the value that they have from being on the mailing list. And I mean, I see jumps, like I don't really write in the realm of like hacker news type stuff. But if I write a guest article for like fake uh, fast company or 99U or something like that, then I'll get a couple hundred subscribers that day kind of thing. But otherwise, it's just like a, a slow and steady build, basically. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so like I said, I think my list is about a thousand now. And um, most of those came from uh from hacker news from being from uh, this is a web page and that being on hacker news for about 11 hours i know some people don't like uh things like that so hacker news and reddit and all that stuff um but it drives in a lot of traffic and even if you're not converting very well on your mailing list link it's just that much traffic is going to convert into subscribers and so for me it it's definitely helped build the list fairly quickly um and, uh, and uh, yeah, so I've seen big jumps that way. And uh, that's, that's basically been my whole strategy so far is writing things that uh, every once in a while I'll get an idea that I think something is a little bit special and uh, I'll try to promote that like hack and um, get as many signups as I can. You put it in the Will This Go Viral app and if it says yes, then you write it and you can format it. <laughs> I totally know your secrets. <laughs> It's true, man. It's true. Just look it up. Yeah. Um, and people are asking what we use for uh, for mailing list stuff. Um, I work for an email service provider, so that's who I use. Uh, I do for WordPress people. Uh, there's a WordPress theme called Launch Effect. That's what I'm using on BuildandLaunch.net, and uh, that's been really good. Uh, it'll collect all the addresses within WordPress and um, uh, so that's one way to start collecting a list, even if you don't have a service provider. Uh, you guys want to quickly talk about who you're using? Uh, I use uh, MailChimp. Um, one thing that's uh, really cool about MailChimp is that they have an API. So, for example, with uh, Discover Meteor, we are uh, segmenting the mailing list according to which package people bought. So that lets us send targeted emails. So if we have a promotion or something coming up, uh, we don't need to spam everybody, and especially we don't send the promotion to people who have already bought the book. Because again, you don't want to piss people off. So we this way we can only send you know the discount to people who haven't bought it yet, or maybe um, upgrade discounts to people who have brought the the lowest edition. So uh, yeah, that's one uh, really cool thing you can do with Mailchimp. Yeah, I use Mailchimp for the same reason. I can, I, you can segment, you can automatically add people to your list in a segment based on what they purchase. 
and then yeah, hit the, hit people that aren't on that segment with discount codes or talk to people that bought the book if there's a new a new edition or something. So you have that information from the subscribers, and it does it automatically. We, we don't even need to do anything. It just it automatically puts those names and and email addresses onto the list. I use uh, Mailchimp as well. Still, I'm gradually phasing off of them just because. Uh, I have ConvertKit and it works a lot better for uh, gathering subscribers in a lot of different ways. Um, if you want to know about how I use that, then I wrote it. If you go to nathanberry.com slash email dash marketing, I believe, as my detailed post on all of that. Um, but yeah, MailChimp is really good, and, and but ConvertKit's where I'm going moving forward, of course. Yeah, and maybe let's quickly talk about how we format our emails. Uh, I just want to give a shout out to uh, Brennan Dunn because he's in the, the chat room, I think. And he's the one that put me on to writing uh, email newsletters that look like emails. So, hi, Justin, how's it going? And uh, I, I was really impressed with Brennan's emails. And that's the format. I just, I'm just trying to be like Brennan nowadays. Uh, what, what do you guys use for the format of your emails? I like to write stories. Like I write, I, I basically write a blog post for ninety percent of my emails. I write up like a blog post or an article and share it with my list. On on occasion, I'll share like a curated. These are like five links that I think you guys would like. But for the most most part, I I just tell stories. Yeah, I also format the emails as as plain text or really light HTML formatting. Um, one thing I do um, do is make sure they're responsive because a lot of people are, are on mobile. And I think if you don't do anything by default, like a lot of templates on MailChimp or wherever, they're not responsive. Like if you go with a plain text, uh, fake plain text option. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think like, I don't think people like, uh, you know, fancy HTML templates that much. So unless you have a, like a really strong branding and it's like a corporate email or, you know, password reminder or things like that. I mean, that's it's fine for that. But if it's if you want it to be personal and engage people, I think uh, plain text is probably better. Yeah, I use uh, plain text. I feel like it, it should look like I wrote it in Gmail. You know, so I use bullets and bold and italics and links and all that. Uh, but I try to write personal emails, um, and so I don't want them to look like they came from a huge corporation. Because they really did come from me. Same. So, um, one thing in all this talk of tools, I just saw uh, Thomas who um, wrote the book Retinify, and uh, he's done a bunch of other awesome projects. Um, post in the chat room that all this talk about tools is important, sort of, but it's really easy to get hung up on all of that. And what you need to do is yeah. is start, and you need to actually work on it. So I get tons of questions about what tools I use and and how to prevent piracy and things like that. And very few about how to actually create good content and and write something meaningful. So I would just say focus more on that. But we can't talk more about tools. <laughs> <laughs> well do we just before I think we should probably wind down here pretty soon, but is there anything else in on the subject of promotion that we should talk about. Uh, I want to talk about actually selling um, the the product. Um, there's one thing that all four of us have in common is that we sell through Gumroad, and 
I absolutely love them. I think they have the best checkout experience on the web. Um, and I'm not paid to say that. In fact, I paid them a lot of money. So <laughs> I, I just, I absolutely love the guys at Gumroad and uh, they have a fantastic product. So, yeah, they, they have I'm great support too. Yeah, yeah, amazing support. So the, when I came out with my first book, um, I was trying to upload files at one in the morning and I was getting emails back from them within two minutes. Like they were right there to help me with anything around the launch. Um, They've just been absolutely fantastic. Uh, one more topic I think would be interesting is uh, like deals and things like AppSumo. So mm. have you guys tried that? Yeah. Yeah, I use, I've used um, Mighty Deals, Delato, uh, a couple other ones. And it's most of the time when I use them, obviously you get less money because you're giving it at a deal. But you can, if you work with them, and obviously it's not always the case, but you can get you can make the deal with them so that you get the email subscribers or else it's like selling like the way that Nathan said, if you sell on Amazon, you don't know who bought your stuff. So if you can get that information from them, but I've used uh, probably four or five and it's resulted in at least five or 600 books sold each time. And obviously I get a lot less money, but if I get the customer data, that's really all I care about for that. Yeah. yeah. So I've done them with Mighty Deals, AppSumo and Deal Lotto. Um, a couple deals with each one. Um, They've been fantastic to work with. AppSumo moves the largest volume. Um, and, you know, again, I make a lot less money, though I still am at at least 25 grand made from all of those deals combined. Uh, but I get a lot of people added to my newsletter. So when people go through the checkout process, I just have a checkbox saying, like, uh, do you want to get more tutorials and design stuff from Nathan? And I leave it checked by default, but it may be 10% of people uncheck that box. Um, but then I feel good about contacting them about, you know, sending them other tutorials, information on other books. Um, and that's added a lot of people to my mailing list. My, my one rule with those deals is that I have to get, at least give the customers an option to get on my list. Otherwise it's, it's not worth it for just the money. And, um, is there anything else we want to cover before before we wind things down? I think we should take a bunch of questions and just stay on. Maybe I'd kind of like to stay on for the next 20 minutes or so answering questions. I feel yeah. like there's a, a lot more than um, we've actually had a chance to answer. For sure. sure. Yeah, I'm good to go till, say, 7 o'clock uh, Pacific. Okay, so yeah. why don't we wind down the official part here just by – let's just um, – quickly tell people where they can find us on the web and then we'll stay online for another 20 minutes. Sure, so people can find me at uh, sashagrief.com or at sashagrief. And um, my two books are Step-by-Step uh, -step UI Design and Discover Meteor. So go check that out. pjrbs.com or pjrbs on Twitter and my new book, Everything I Know, is out in January and the Kickstarter campaign for it will be launching on September 9th. So if you follow me on Twitter or are on my mailing list, then you will hear from me when that happens. Everything I do is at NathanBerry.com. You can follow me on Twitter, but it's way better if you get on my email list. Uh, <laughs> just go to my website, click on newsletter, and you can sign up there. And uh, my books are The App Design Handbook, Designing Web Apps, and Authority. 
Um, but if you're interested in this kind of thing, then you should check out ConvertKit because it's got everything I know about email marketing and building lists and all of that baked into a product. So check it out, convertkit.com. Beautiful. Uh, so I'm at MI Justin on Twitter, and my mailing list for my books and products and stuff is at buildandlaunch.net. So if you want to sign up for the list there, buildandlaunch.net. Let's uh, do some questions. Let's see here. Can you guys talk about how you handle taxes from book sales and revenue? Do we want to talk about taxes right off the bat? <laughs> I give them. I give all the data to my accountant, and he does it. I don't know. Yeah, how it's actually ready. really, really simple. You just you just count it as revenue, and you pay taxes based on that revenue. Like, there's nothing fancy that happens. <laughs> yeah, if you freelance, it's exactly the same. It's exactly the same. You you show what your revenue is, and then like in Canada, because I'm incorporated, I have to have a chartered accountant. So he has to do it for me. But he just takes all those numbers and. If it's a website that I did or if it's a book, it's no different. You pay taxes on it the same. Yeah, I mean, apart from the fact that I'm French and living in Japan and uh, I sell my book online to uh, U.S. customers and, and all that is pretty much the same. <laughs> <laughs> the bank account in the Caymans? Yeah. yeah. Um, here's an interesting. What would you do if you woke up with your excellent book ready to publish, but you've lost your list and no one knows you? I would take sections of the book and start giving it out in blog posts. And at the end of every blog post, I would ask people to hop on my newly created email list. Oh, and then I would promote those blog posts like crazy. Emailing everyone possible, trying to get them republished on Quora, Medium, Lifehacker, Smashing Magazine, wherever else, and uh, just go from there. Oh, writing guest posts is also a great way to uh, promote your book. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so a point, a point on guest posts, uh, always have a strong call to action at the end of your guest posts. What happens a lot is people just um, put up a guest post and then hope that someone will click on their author bio or something like that. And uh, what I find is that you can't really link directly to a product. But for example, I did a post on, on, uh, product launches for Smashing Magazine. And when that ended, at the end of the post, I had a little link saying, if you want to learn more about product launches, I put together this free email course called Mastering Product Launches, go sign up here. I don't think Smashing Magazine would have let me, you know, put in a hard sell for authority or convert kit at the end of the post, but they were happy to let me give away much more free information to their readers. And so in that 15 email course that people sign up for later on, if that eventually sells authority or, or convert kit after delivering a ton of value, that's fine. So that alone, that mastering product launches course has netted me like 1700 email subscribers and at least five or 600 were from that one Smashing Magazine article. Yeah, another good thing is custom landing pages because you can put links in your author bio typically. So if I write an article for somebody, I can create a page on pjrvs.com and have that page saying like, welcome fast company readers. Here's some other articles you might like. Oh, and I also wrote a book. So it's, in, it's still in your bio, but you can create a page custom for each of the people you write for because it might be a slightly different audience. Like for me, I have a bunch of different audiences. 
So if you create a custom landing page in WordPress, you can do that in a couple seconds, basically, like add a, add a little bit of content, add a couple links, and then link to whatever related product you have. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think this is exactly what I'm talking about in my book, Amplification. And for me, um, like I've had stuff republished on Lifehacker, and it's been viewed over 100,000 times. And I think I've maybe had... You know, 3% of those people have gone to whatever was in the footer. Uh, so I personally actually haven't had a lot of success with things on other platforms. So things like Medium and, you know, guest posts and all that stuff. Uh, the, the most success I've found is you find the biggest network online where people are. And you that's where you post your own stuff on your own platform. And uh, that's been the best for me. That drives the most traffic. Um, and uh, that gets me the most email signups. Well, I think one important point is that when you do guest posts, they have to be about the subject of the book. Like they, the, the closest uh, they are, the better. For example, uh, for my first book, I wrote a guest post about um, comparing uh, options to sell the book. So things like Gumroad, uh, Pulley, Digital deli Delivery. And it's not it's not exactly the subject of the book, but it let me, I mean, there was no way to avoid talking about the book, uh, writing that article and people wanted to see what I was doing. They wanted a real life example. So that's why they were clicking on the link to see how I set up Gumroad, how I set up, you know, uh, Polly. So um, people have a, a reason to click and click through and go to your site. If it's just, if you're writing an essay, no matter how good it is, if you're just plugging unrelated stuff at the end, um, the only reason people have is just if they like you, like <laughs> they want to do you a favor, they'll go check out your stuff. But uh, usually yeah. it's not enough. That's yeah, I change my bio for every guest post that I write to make it contextual to the article and to what I'm trying to get them to do afterwards. Just be, it just, That seems to work for me quite a bit. I would say try to write the one link that you want them to click on. Try to write it into the conclusion of the article. Yeah. And if that can make sense where the logical next step is to click on that, um, then do that. And if there's a chance the editor of the site may take it out, uh, but at least you tried. Just make yeah. sure it delivers a lot of value and is not asking for a sale right then. Uh, I think this is a good question. How do you stay authentic, true to who you are? There's a lot of be like me stuff out there, but what's a good way to not come off as a well, they're saying a jerk, but how do you, how do you guys deal with that? Like, what if you're uh, authentically a jerk? <laughs> <laughs> uh, AKA, uh, who's that it, grumpy programmer? Isn't that his whole thing? Yeah. Uh, what do you guys think about that? Like, is there anything about how do you stay authentic while you're writing? Is there any advice you have on that? Keep writing. That's what. Or read what you've written. If it, if you sound like a total like marketing dick bag when you read it back then you're you're probably not being real to to what you've written so read it out loud <laughs> like nathan you were talking about uh, communication earlier like how to be a good writer be a good communicator and i think it's kind of the antidote to sounding like a jerk is usually it, it's very hard to be a jerk and be a good communicator at the same time so if on the other hand if you're a good communicator you're probably uh not a jerk so that's what i try to aim for like is it is what i'm saying clear uh am i going to the point and if if i do that usually you can manage to stay authentic and true to yourself i think yeah i 
I think that if you write to an individual, it's much harder to be a jerk. Um, well, or, unless you don't flag them. Unless you well, hate them. Yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> I always try to write write to someone specific, and that that helps a lot. Then I know that it's useful. I know that I'm not coming across as a jerk. Um, I think that one thing that can be hard, and I've struggled with this a little bit, is when your products start making money, and in some cases, like a lot of money, then I've found myself ha having a tendency to only work on things that are going to make me money or try to one-up what I've done before instead of just sitting back and thinking like, okay, it's okay that not everything I, I do needs to make me money, you know? And so once you get a list and, and some level of notoriety, just be careful that you're not trying to cash in on it all the time. Uh, by the way, a message to our listeners, please uh, pay $20 uh, after this is uh, over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think exactly. uh, and one thing Amy Hoy is saying in the, the chat room is that you, you kind of attract the people that so if you're a jerk, you might attract jerks. And one way to think about this is what kind of person do you want to attract? Like what kind of reader do you want to attract? What kind of people do you want buying your products? Uh, what kind of people do you want, you know, saying that they're affiliated with your product? Like, I love, you know, this guy's books. Well, if it looks like, you know, they're all people that you don't want to hang out with, you might want to change kind of what you're putting out. To, to be honest, I have to check myself on this all the time. I, I think I... I look at, if I look at my writing, a lot of the times the first draft can be very self-focused. And um, the way I turn that around is I just say, well, similar to Nathan, like, who am I trying to help and how can I actually help them? And putting yourself in a, a position where you're trying to help people, uh, it, it almost turns everything around. It changes the tone. Uh, it makes you seem not condescending, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I found that helpful. And I think that's a problem with a lot of sales pages is they're focused on the person who's doing the selling instead of focusing on helping the people that they want to buy the product. So having a sales page that's more focused on alleviating some some point of pain with the person who might be buying something as opposed to telling just your story or saying that you wrote this book that's awesome, then it kind of doesn't it doesn't build enough context for somebody to actually want to click the buy button. Whereas if you're saying like this is this is how this product can help you, as opposed to just saying like yeah I, I wrote this good book please buy it it's awesome. Um, and uh, we have someone asking Nathan to uh, could you summarize your point about what happens when you start making money? <clears throat> I'm not sure what he was saying there. Oh, I th I think what I was saying is is just that. Be careful that once you start having a little bit of that success that you don't just continue chasing that. Make sure that you're providing value instead of looking to make a buck in every direction. Does anyone distribute their books to companies or universities to get the word out and spread influence? Uh, and he, in brackets, he has distribute for free. No. People have asked me to do that. Um, I've had, I think, two emails about it. But the emails came across as so odd and unprofessional that I don't think I even responded. But the pitch was something like that of like, we're with the university, can you give it to us for free? Um, and I think if it had been well written and it just threw up a bunch of red flags and was weird, so I just didn't respond. But it, if it would have been, if it would have seemed legit, then I probably would have done it. 
Yeah, for us, we have a lot of people, uh, students and uh, student organizations contacting us. The hard part is, you know, knowing who's a student or not and having some kind of policy. Uh, it would be great if there was like an online student card or something and you could just say, hey, okay, you're a student, get the discount. But uh, right now, I, I feel it's kind of hard because, uh, you know, what about people who study on their own or uh, what makes, you know, some students are rich, some are poor, some can afford the books, some can't. So it's kind of uh, tricky to know who, you know, how to discriminate and who should get the book free or cheap or not. Um, but yeah, generally, like if, if we get contacted by students or universities or companies, we're open to uh, giving out a, a, the book for free or a sample. Yeah, I've done voluming, volume licensing for companies and things like that at a discount, and that's been, I don't, I don't have a problem doing that if somebody emails me and wants to buy 20 copies or 30 copies or something like that. I don't, I don't have a problem giving a discount for that. We actually have a question about that. Like, what's the best way to set up a, a team license or volume pricing? Do you want to address that? Sure. I had a link on my website for a while saying contact me for volume pricing, and that was, that was all it took. And I don't have that link on there anymore because I, a few people took me up on it, but not very many. So I didn't. it didn't really need to be there. But I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't really care either way for if, if people want a discount, if they're buying it in bulk, then... <laughs> By all means, I'll work something out with them. It's similar to what I did with um, the deal websites. They they were going to sell it to a lot more people than I could reach, so like, they got a discount because I, I get less money from them. So I, I don't have any more to say on team pricing, uh, I, except that Patrick McKenzie did it well for one of his courses, so ask him about that or read what he has to say about it. Um, somebody asked, do you ever do boot camps or workshops as a kind of spinoff? Um, and I haven't done any, I've done some online workshops with moderate success. Other people have done it pretty well. Brendan Dunn and Amy Hoy have, have done those. Um, and I'm going to experiment with some in-person workshops in London and in Boston in October. And so that'll be fun. Uh, the London one's sold out, but if you want to come to the Boston one, uh, email me. Um, so I, I will write up about that you know, after I do those and, uh, um, you know, it's an interesting way, but I would, if you want to do online stuff, I would go read what Brandon Dunn has to say about, uh, doing workshops and all of that for the same audience. Cause he's, I think doubled the revenue from his books off of doing workshops. Uh, what do you, have you guys tried any of that? I've spoken um, at events like uh, meetups and stuff, but um, that's all. Yeah, I'm speaking at an event in, in the spring, but I'm not really that, in, like for me personally, I'm not that interested in becoming a speaker or something like that. So I haven't, I've never really, like I get offers to do that. I'm not really that interested in it. I've taught a bunch of people's online classes, like been a guest speaker on a ton of, of classes, like online classes and online things. But as far as in-person stuff, I'm not really that interested in traveling or, do, or doing like a speaking circuit. So that doesn't really interest me to do. So I'd rather be writing. Yeah, I think that is actually one interesting thing is that none of us are really on the speaking circuit. I know, Nathan, you've done some speaking and we've I've spoken at a few things, too, but uh, I wouldn't say that we're like really in that circuit. Most of the promotion we've done has all been online, right? Yeah, I don't think it's a good way to sell books necessarily. 
but it it's a really great extra revenue source if you're charging for a workshop um, or if you're just going to speak at a conference. Uh, like I gave a short talk at MicroConf and then um, Amy Hoy invited me to speak at Bacon Biz. And those, I just had so much fun. Like it was a great experience. And to me, that was a huge benefit of writing a book is that when I went to MicroConf, instead of standing in the corner, like awkwardly talking to one or two people like I normally do, I had people who came up and talked to me and that totally transformed what a conference was like for me. And it was really, really fun. And someone was asking me uh, if the, the, the meetup I did resulted in sales, probably maybe like, you know, five, six extra sales, but um, not enough to pay for the cost of travel and, and all that. So it's more, mostly for fun and also to interact with people in the community, you know, and, I mean, I think that that's important because at the end of the day, you're selling the book to actual human beings and it's nice to to not just view them as emails in a list and uh, you know dollars in your PayPal account, but also like real people. Okay, should we take maybe one or two more? Yeah, yeah. let's do two more. Okay, did you guys notice anything else that we, we should look at? All right, quick? everybody ask your questions really, really quickly. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> one good question i think was uh whether it's a good idea to package uh, services with the book like oh yeah i saw that one uh, mm -hmm. website reviews or uh, a skype call or consulting personally i think it's not a good idea um, i wouldn't package anything that will take up my time with the book just because uh you know you don't know how many takers you'll have so uh I mean, maybe it will work really well and you end up having to do a hundred Skype consulting sessions. And uh, that's what, I, that's what happened that. to me. I, I had that as a package with my book where I was doing consults and I had to turn it off pretty quickly because I just got in it. Like I couldn't get my other work done. And that's not something that like I like doing them, but it's not something that I want to just do. And it was starting to take up all of my time. So, yeah, I agree. And even with like doing things like Kickstarter, it's. The more you can do that's digital where you don't have to be present for it, the better it is for like selling it in volume. So if it scales, you're still not having to be present in that. So if you can offer value in things that are like, I know Nathan has like video interviews and things like that, where you can package a lot more value without having to be there and do the discussion. Maybe if that's like a really, really top tier for that. But yeah, I had to turn that off because I had consulting and it, it, was, it was taking too much time. Michael Hartle just made the point, charge enough so that if, you, if there are a lot of takers, you're okay with it. Um, and I think that's good. If you want to throw on a $1,000 an hour package, then I don't know, go for it. All right, well, I think we should probably wind this down. We could probably go forever. Yep. But uh, I just want to, uh, to thank Sasha and Nathan for getting this going and uh, for inviting Paul and I, the token Canadians, to be a part of it. Uh, I want to thank everyone that was hanging out in the chat room. Yeah, I mean, there's a, a lot of uh, very interesting ebooks authors out there, and a lot of them were in the chat room today. So uh, I'm sure uh, we'll find takers if we want to do this again. Yep. Perfect. Cool. Well, thanks, thank everybody. Yeah, we'll thank see you guys you, later. That's it for part two. As always, you can find the show notes, links to all the guests, and some more details on what we talked about at nathanberry.com slash episode five.